Chapter Four, Part Two, of How I Found Livingston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Beth Ann. How I Found Livingston: Travels, Adventures, and Discoveries in Central Africa, Including Four Months' Residence with Dr. Livingston. By Sir Henry M. Stanley. Chapter Four. Part Two. Life at Bagamoyo. The setting out of the first caravan enlightened me also on the subject of Honga, or tribute. Tribute had to be packed by itself, all of choice cloth, for the chiefs, besides being avaricious, are also very fastidious. They will not accept the flimsy cloth of the pagazi, but a royal and exceedingly high-priced dabwani, ismahali, rahini, or sahari, or dotis of crimson broadcloth. The tribute for the first caravan cost twenty-five dollars. Having more than one hundred and forty pagazis to dispatch, this tribute money would finally amount to three hundred and thirty dollars gold, with a minimum of twenty-five cents on each dollar. Ponder on this, O traveler. I lay bare these facts for your special instruction. But before my first caravan was destined to part company with me, Sir Haja Palo, worthy young man, and I were to come to a definite understanding about money matters. The morning appointed for departure, Sir Haji Palo came to my hut and presented his bill with all the gravity of innocence for supplying the pagazis with twenty-five doti each as their hire to Unyanyembe, begging immediate payment in money. Words fail to express the astonishment I naturally felt, that this sharp-looking young man should so soon have forgotten the verbal contract entered into between him and myself the morning previous which was to the effect that out of the three thousand doti stored in my tent and bought expressly for pagazi hire each and every man hired for me as carriers from bagamoyo to unyanyembe should be paid out of the store there in my tent when i asked if he remembered the contract he replied in the affirmative his reasons for breaking it so soon were that he wished to sell his glass not mine and for his cloths he should want money, not an exchange. But I gave him to comprehend that as he was procuring pagazis for me, he was to pay my pagazis with my cloths, that all the money I expected to pay him should be just such a sum I thought adequate for his trouble as my agent, and that only on these terms should he act for me in this or any other matter, and that the Musunga was not accustomed to eat his words. The preceding paragraph embodies many more words than are contained in it. It embodies a dialogue of an hour, an angry altercation of half an hour's duration, a vow taken on the part of Sir Haji Palo that if I did not take his gloss he should not touch my business, many tears, entreaties, woeful penance, and much else, all of which responded to with do as i want you to do or do nothing finally came relief and a happy ending sor haji polo 
went away with a bright face, taking with him three soldiers' posha, food, and hanga, tribute, for the caravan. Well for me that it had ended so, and that subsequent quarrels of a similar nature terminated so peaceably. Otherwise I doubt whether my departure from Bagamoyo would have happened so early as it did. While I am on this theme, as it early engrossed every moment of my time at Bagamoyo, I may as well be more explicit regarding Bor Haji Paulo and his connection with my business. Sir Haji Paulo was a smart young man of business, energetic, quick of mental calculation, and seemed to be born for a successful salesman. His eyes were never idle. They wandered over every part of my person, over the tent, the bed, the guns, the clothes, and having swung clear round, began the silent circle over again. His fingers were never at rest. They had a fidgety, nervous action at their tips, constantly in the act of feeling something. While in the act of talking to me, he would lean over and feel the texture of the cloth of my trousers, my coat or my shoes, or socks. Then he would feel his own light Jamandani shirt, or Dabwain loincloth. Then he would feel his own light Jamandi shirt, or Dabwanic loincloth, until his eyes casually resting upon a novelty, his body would lean forward and his arm was stretched out with the willing fingers. His jaws also were in perpetual motion, caused by vile habits he had acquired of chewing betel nut and lime, and sometimes tobacco and lime. They gave out the sound similar to that of a young shoat in the act of sucking. He was a pious Mohammedan and observed the external courtesies and ceremonies of the true believers. He would affably greet me, take off his shoes, entering my tent, protesting he was not fit to sit in my presence, and, after being seated, would begin his ever-crooked errand. Of honesty, literal and practical honesty, this youth knew nothing. To the pure truth, he was an utter stranger. The falsehoods he had uttered during his short life seemed already to have quenched the bold gaze of innocence from his eyes, to have banished the color of truthfulness from his features, to have transformed him, yet a stripling of twenty, into a most accomplished rascal and consummate expert in dishonesty. During the six weeks I encamped at Bagamoyo, waiting for my quota of men, this lad of twenty gave me very much trouble. He was found out half a dozen times a day in dishonesty, yet was in no way abashed by it. He would send in his account of the cloths supplied to the Bagazis, stating them to be twenty-five paid to each. On sending a man to inquire, I would find the greatest number to have been twenty and the smallest twelve. Sor Haji Paulo described the cloths to be of first-class quality, Uyila cloths, worth in the market four times more than the ordinary quality given to the Pagazis. Yet a personal examination would prove them to be the flimsiest goods sold, such as American sheeting two and a half feet broad, and worth two dollars and seventy-five cents per thirty yards apiece at Zanzibar or the most inferior kanaki, which is generally sold at nine dollars per score. 
he would personally come to my camp and demand forty pounds of sami sami marunka and buba beads for pasho or caravan rations an inspection of their store before departure from their first camp from bagamoyo would show a deficiency ranging from five to thirty pounds moreover he cheated in cash money such as demanding four dollars for crossing the kangani ferry for every ten pagazis when the fare was two dollars for the same number and an unconscionable number of pice copper coins equal in value to three-quarters of a cent were acquired for pasho it was every day for four weeks that this system of roguery was carried out each day conceived a dozen new schemes every instant of his time seemed to be devising how to plunder until i was fairly at my wit's end how to thwart him exposure before a crowd of his fellows brought no blush of shame to his sallow cheeks he would listen with a mere shrug of the shoulders and that was all which i might interpret any way it pleased me a threat to reduce his present had no effect a bird in the hand was certainly worth two in the bush for him so ten dollars worth of goods stolen and in his actual possession was of more intrinsic value than the promise of twenty in a few days though it was that of a white man readers will of course ask themselves why i did not after the first discovery of these shameless proceedings close my business with him to which i make reply that i could not do without him unless his equal were forthcoming that i never felt so thoroughly dependent on any one man as i did upon him without his or his duplicate's aid i must have stayed at bagamoyo at least six months at the end of which time the expedition would have become valueless the rumour of it having been blown abroad to the four winds it was immediate departure that was essential to my success departure from bagamoyo after which it might be possible for me to control my own future in a great measure these troubles were the greatest that i could at this time imagine i have already stated that i had one thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars worth of pagazi's cloths or three thousand five hundred doti stored in my tent and above what my bales contained calculating one hundred and forty pagazis at twenty-five doti each i supposed i had enough yet though i had been trying to teach the young hindu that the Masunga was not a fool, nor blind to his pilfering tricks, though the three thousand five hundred doti were all spent, though I had only obtained one hundred and thirty pagazis at twenty-five doti each, which in the aggregate amounted to three thousand two hundred doti. Sir Haji Paolo's bill was one thousand four hundred cash extra. His plea was that he had furnished Uyela cloths for Mahungu, 240 doti, each in value to 960 of my doti, that the money was spent in fairy pice, in presents to chiefs of caravans of tents, guns, red broadcloth, in presents to the people on the Marimra coast, to induce them to hunt up pagazis, upon this exhibition of most ruthless cheating i waxed indignant and declared to him that if he would not run over his bill and correct it he should go without a pice but before the bill could be put into proper shape my words threats and promises falling heedlessly on a stony brain a man 
Kanji by name, from the store of Tayara Topan of Zanzibar, had to come over, when the bill was finally reduced to 738. Without any disrespect to Tayara Topan, I am unable to decide which is the most accomplished rascal, Kanji or young Sorhaji Palo. In the words of a white man who knows them both, there is not the splitting of a stroll between them. Kanji is deep and sly, Sorohaji Palo is bold and incorrigible. But peace be to them both, may their shaven heads never be covered with the troublous crown I wore at Bagamoyo. My dear friendly reader, do not think if I speak out my mind in this or in any other chapter upon matters seemingly trivial and unimportant, that seeming such they should be left unmentioned. Every tittle related is a fact, and to know facts is to receive knowledge. How could I ever recite my experience to you if I did not enter upon these miserable details, which sorely distract the stranger upon his first arrival? Had I been a government official, I had but wagged my finger, and my quota of pagazis had been furnished me within a week. But as an individual arriving without the graces of official recognition, armed with no government influence, I had to be patient, bide my time, and chew the cud of irritation quietly. But the bread I ate was not all sour, as this was. The white men, Fakwahar and Shah, were kept steadily at work upon waterproof tents of hemp canvas, for I perceived, by the premonitory showers of rain that marked the approach of the Masika, that an ordinary tent of light cloth would subject myself to damp my goods to mildew, and while there was time to rectify all errors that had crept into my plans through ignorance or over-haste, I thought it was not wise to permit things to rectify themselves. Now that I have returned uninjured in health, though I have suffered the attacks of twenty-three fevers within the short space of thirteen months, I must confess I owe my life first to the mercy of God, secondly to the enthusiasm for my work which animated me from the beginning to the end thirdly to have never ruined my constitution by indulgence in vice and intemperance fourthly to the energy of my nature fifthly to a native hopefulness which never died and sixthly to having furnished myself with a capacious water and damp proof canvas house and here, if my experience may be of value, I would suggest that travelers, instead of submitting their better judgment to the capricious of a tent-maker, who will endeavor to pass off a handsomely made fabric of his own, which is unsuited to all climes, to use his own judgment, and get the best and strongest that money will buy. In the end it will prove the cheapest, and perhaps be the means of saving his life. On one point I failed, and less new and young travellers fall into the same error which marred much of my enjoyment this paragraph is written. One must be extremely careful in his choice of weapons, whether for sport or defence. A traveller should have at least three different kinds of guns. One should be a fowling piece, the second should be a double-barreled rifle, number 10 or 12, the third should be a magazine rifle for defence. 
For the fowling piece, I would suggest number 12 bore, with barrels at least 4 feet in length. For the rifle, for larger game, I would point out, with due deference to old sportsmen, of course, that the best guns for African game are the English Lancaster and Riley rifles, and for a fighting weapon, I maintain that the best yet invented is the American Winchester repeating rifle, or the 16-shooter, as it is called, supplied with a London Allais ammunition. If I suggest as a fighting weapon the American Winchester, I do not mean that the traveler need take it for the purpose of offense, but as the best means of efficient defense to save his own life against African banditti when attacked, a thing likely to happen any time. I met a young man soon after returning from the interior who declared his conviction that the express rifle was the most perfect weapon ever invented to destroy African game. Very possibly the young man may be right, and that the express rifle is all he declares it to be, but he had never practiced with it against African game, and as I had never tried it, I could not combat his assertion, but I could relate my experience with weapons having all the penetrating powers of the express, and could inform him that though the bullets penetrated through the animals, they almost always failed to bring down the game at the first fire. On the other hand, I could inform him that during the time I traveled with Dr. Livingston, the doctor lent me his heavy Riley rifle, with which I seldom failed to bring an animal or two home to the camp and that I found the Fraser shell answer all purposes for which it was intended. The feats related by Captain Speke and Sir Samuel Baker are no longer matters of wonderment to the young sportsman when he has a Lancaster or a Rayleigh in his hand. After a very few trials he can imitate them, if not excel their leads, provided he has a steady hand, and it is to forward this end that this paragraph is written. African game require bone crushers, for any ordinary carbine possesses sufficient penetrating qualities, yet has not the disabling qualities which a gun must possess to be useful in the hands of an African explorer. I had not been long at Bagamoyo before I went over to Masawadi's camp to visit the Livingston caravan, which the British consul dispatched on the first day of November, 1870 to the relief of Livingston. The number of packages was 35, which required as many men to convey them to Unyanyembe. The men chosen to escort this caravan were composed of Johannes and Waihayo, seven in number. Out of the seven, four were slaves. They lived in clover here, thoughtless of the errand they had been sent upon, and careless of the consequences. What these men were doing at Bagamoyo all this time I never could conceive except indulging their own vicious propensities. It would be nonsense to say that there were no pagazis, because I know there were at least fifteen caravans which had started for the interior since the Ramadan, December 15, 1870. Yet Livingston's caravan had arrived at this little town of Bagamoyo November 2nd, and here it had been lying until the 10th of February, in all, one hundred days, for lack of the limited number of thirty-five pagazis, a number that might be procured within two days through consular influence. Bagamoyo has a most enjoyable climate. It is far preferable in every sense to that of Zanzibar. 
we were able to sleep in the open air and rose refreshed and healthy each morning to enjoy our matutinal bath in the sea and by the time the sun had risen we were engaged in various preparations for our departure for the interior our days were enlivened by visits from the arabs who were also bound for unyamyembe by comical scenes in the camp sometimes by court-martials held on the refractory by a boxing match between Fakwarhar and shah necessitating my prudent interference when they waxed too wroth by a hunting excursion now and then to the kirangani plain and river by social conversation with the old geomander and his band of baluches who were never tired of warning me that the masika was at hand and of advising me that my best course was to hurry on before the season of travelling expired among the employees with the expedition were two hindu and two gonies they had conceived the idea that the african interior was an el dorado the ground of which was strewn over with ivory tusks and they had clubbed together while their imaginations were thus heated to embark in a little enterprise of their own their names were jaco abdul kader bundar salam and aran sealer jaco engaged in my service as carpenter and general help abdul kader as a tailor and bundar salam as cook and aran sealer as chief butler but aran sealer with an intuitive eye foresaw that i was likely to prove a vigorous employer and while there was yet time he had devoted most of it to conceive how it was possible to withdraw from the engagement he received permission upon asking for it to go to zanzibar to visit his friends two days afterwards i was informed that he had blown his right eye out and received a medical confirmation of the fact and note of the extent of the injury from dr christie the physician to his highness Said burgash his compatriots i imagined were about planning the same thing but a peremptory command to abstain from such folly issued after they had received their advance pay sufficed to check any sinister designs they may have formed a groom was caught stealing from the bales one night and the chase after him into the country until he vanished out of sight into the jungle was one of the most agreeable diversions which occurred to wear away the interval employed in preparing for the march i had now dispatched four caravans into the interior and the fifth which was to carry the boats and the boxes personal luggage and a few cloths and bead loads was ready to be led by myself the following is the order of departure of the caravans eighteen seventy one february sixth expedition arrived at bagamoyo eighteen seventy one february eighteenth first caravan departs with twenty-four pagazis and three soldiers eighteen seventy one february twenty-first second caravan departs with twenty-eight pagazis two chiefs and two soldiers eighteen seventy one february twenty-fifth third caravan departs with twenty-two pagazis ten donkeys one white man one cook and three soldiers eighteen seventy one march eleventh fourth caravan departs with fifty-five pagazis two chiefs and three soldiers eighteen seventy one march twenty-first fifth caravan departs with twenty-eight pagazis twelve soldiers two white men one tailor one cook one interpreter one gun-bearer seventeen asses two horses and one dog
total number inclusive of all souls comprised in caravans connected with the New York Herald expedition, a hundred and ninety-two. End of chapter four, part two.